Welcome to the very first episode of Okay, Now What? In this episode, I'm joined by a very special guest and friend of mine, Ricardo Pais. Ricardo and I have, I've featured him on my podcast multiple times and have been on his, and he always has so much insight to share with me when I'm going through a struggle or or vice versa, really. And I thought, what better of a person to have on as a very first episode than someone who knows what it's like to go through various traumas and come out on the other side in search of survival and not just survival, but in living a life worth living. And so without further ado, the first episode of Okay, Now What? with my good friend, Ricardo. Hello, hello, everyone. I am back on this podcasting journey, and there is no better person to have by my side for the very first episode with a guest other than my good friend, Ricardo Pais. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having me again. You know what I love about your last name? (laughs) That in the English language, it reminds me of pie. Every time I say it, I think like apple pie, cherry pie, because that's how you told me to pronounce it. And it just brings me so much joy because if you've ever had an encounter with me, you know that food analogies are my jam, pun intended. So anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I like the association with pies, even though in Portuguese, it means it's the old way of uh, spelling parents. Oh, really? No. Hmm. Very different meanings there. I think I prefer the pie meaning. Me too. I'll take that a lot sweeter. Speaking of parents... We're actually, this being the very first episode, this is a podcast all about trauma and about growing through our trauma and being functioning adults with trauma and realizing that every single day we're healing something different, even if we feel like we're in this space where we've healed or we've made massive decisions to move toward our healing. So Ricardo's been here with me through so many things in the last three years now. A little bit longer, yeah. even I want to say, well, since 20 March of 2020 or so, when Clubhouse was a big deal thing, if any of you guys remember. And I think we actually started interacting with each other slightly before Clubhouse. But uh, yeah, I, I felt like I clicked with you immediately. Ricardo, as I was saying, has been there for a lot of my personal upheavals. He was there before. If you know me, then you know I have three boys. He was there for the duration of my pregnancy with Connor, which was very unanticipated. And uh, he, he's he been there through the beginning process of my divorce. He's been there through what led up to the divorce. I mean, really all of it. And what gave me the idea to start this podcast was honestly, and I'm going to lay it all out here. I asked for a divorce last year and February of 2023. And a little, a couple months later, I ended up seeing someone and in starting to date this person. And a lot of people will say things like, oh, you're not ready. Don't date, blah, blah, blah. But what a lot of people don't understand is number one, they're not in the situation. And it doesn't matter what a lot of people would do. It matters what works for you. Right. And number two, if I felt the need to explain myself, which I do not, This is a relationship that I had checked out of a very long time ago. I was done and he was done and it just needed to kind of be officially done. So regardless, just to put that out there, I was dating someone who was really, and still dating them actually, very good to me, very um, open, very heart-centered, very able to listen and hold space and be very open and honest with me and vulnerable and all of the green flags that you want to check off in a partner, right? But I found myself feeling more and more anxious every time I would say like, hey, 
this bothers me. Can we talk about this? Or he would say, hey, this bothers me. Let's talk about this. I was very quick to like, okay, let's correct this. But when he would be quick to correct something with me, and I say correct loosely, like to and to acknowledge it and to work on something that we didn't realize we were doing to harm the other, right? Um, in that process, I realized every time he would agree to work on something, I felt like I was being gaslit or like it was BS and he wasn't really going to work on that. Or what kind of line was I getting there? And this is a man who has done nothing to make me feel that way. And I realized, wow, this is one of the triggers here. This is a trigger for me or not, um, not being exactly where you say you're going to be exactly to the second of when you say you're going to be there. Fuck the fact that traffic happens, right? Like, or that like any number of things can impede upon your routine to create like a minute change for things. And you also don't have to check in with me for that. But the more I realized that these normal things were coming up, the more I realized, wow, I made this massive decision to improve my life. And now here I am in this improved life, now able to witness how my brain has shifted from these traumas. And I found myself saying to my therapist, okay, now what? What do I do? And that's where the title of the podcast came from. Okay, now what? I made the choice. I'm working on me, but I'm finding that like, I still feel like an anxious ball of fuckery. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. we've talked a lot about this and how we travel through these, these relationships and how trauma is just, it's people make it sound like this massive daunting thing, but you don't realize there are so many micro traumas. So many secondary traumas that we all live in. And I think that uh, the millennial generation and Gen Z has really, uh, those two generations have really um, kind of hyper fixated on the idea of trauma. And we want to know how to heal it. And we want to know how to exist outside of it. And we also want to know how to then live healthy and happy and content as we heal it, rather than getting fixated on that healing, which I think is what I had done. One of the things you mentioned there that that I'd like to pick up on um, immediately is this apparent hyperfixation on trauma, and um, and like I know you didn't intend it that way, but there's a lot of judgment around our fixation, our collective fixation on on trauma and on the causes for the things that bother us and the things that sometimes paralyze us and and keep us from moving forward or excelling where otherwise without the trauma or the effects of it, we would, right? Um, And so it's, to me, it's very stark. It's very clear that um, these transitional characters, there's a reason for me to use this characters. And I use this in the collective. We're transitional characters where we're making the decision that no, we're not just going to bypass and ignore that we have a trauma. We're just going to, you know, bulldoze her over. No, we we want to get the whole stone out of our shoe, not just ignore it's there and hurt ourselves as we progress in our walk uh, in life. And one of the things I do with the Path of Inner Peace, which uh, if you don't know me, is my Instagram channel and where I do narrated meditations and I work with each person's path of inner peace so it's it's not one it's not the it's whatever um harnesses peace within you and in your life so so one of the things that i focus on so much and so often is in order to be a safe space for others in order to find safe space in others 
we need to at least open ourselves up to becoming a safe space within ourselves for ourselves. And so this entails um, or includes this, but not only, which is to be able to feel pain, emotional pain, and have at least a set of self-soothing words for yourself that, yeah, I'm feeling anxious. Yeah, I'm feeling pain, but I'm not alone because I love myself. Something like that. Something to go back to. Okay, I acknowledge that this is overwhelming. I acknowledge that a panic attack it feels like I'm dying or something, but I'm still with myself. And if my body, quote unquote, chooses to like shut down, I'm I'm going to be the loving presence with it while this lasts. You know, so in choosing consistently, coherently, to be a loving presence within yourself, then it, you don't delete the trauma. You don't solve it but you become your best companion to at least witness yourself going through. To move through it, not fight it. That's exactly it. And when I said, you know, I want to correct something too, that I said the hyperfixation on trauma, but instead of saying like hyperfixation on trauma, I'd like to call that self-awareness because yep. that's what it essentially is. And there's, there's another element to this being collective and being so intensively visible in a collective, which is, we're humans, we've got our limits. And I'm using an imaginary bucket here. Uh, you can't see it because you're only listening to this episode. But imagine that you have a bucket and it's filled with water almost to the brim. One more little trauma, one more big trauma. At one point, it's going to start spilling over. And this mm -hmm. is how almost everybody feels. And societally now, everybody's going through trauma. Ever since the beginning of the 20th century, everybody is going through societal, cultural trauma of some kind. And because the news, the, the World Wide Web, everything is shedding so much light on everything, everywhere, all at once, um, it's really important to understand that just because we're becoming aware doesn't mean that we weren't traumatized before. It means that right. we now have the light on the subject to actually start dealing with it. The language so, too, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so you said something interesting as well while we were chit-chatting before the show. We were talking about how when we have these, like, let's focus on people-pleasing because this is something that I think most people that are going to listen to this show can uh, relate to, right? Yeah. As a people-pleaser, we're not necessarily born just saying, like, we'll do everything we can to make sure there's peace all around us, Right. That people-pleasing tendency comes from trying to create peace in a chaotic environment when typically when you're a child. Also, it could, yes, start from like abusive relationships as an adult, but most people who end up in abusive relationships as adults probably had some sort of chaotic childhood. And that yep. is a rope we could, it's like the clown pulling the scarf out, right? Like it's just going to exactly. keep going. Okay. However, that people-pleasing tendency, I love that you said this, when you allow yourself to ignore your needs in order to please others, you're re-traumatizing yourself. Yep. Can you elaborate on that? So when we experience childhood trauma or early youth trauma or something like that, there is a part of our mind that I've witnessed in other people too. I don't have statistics on this, but I'm pretty sure there's more than enough studies to, to like corroborate what I'm trying to say here. I experienced it directly. So at least there's one person on the planet that has gone through this which is a part of the mind makes a choice to sacrifice another living, existing, active, functional, not dysfunctional, functional part of themselves 
order to expand the room for the essence, for the essential to survive whatever trauma they're going through. So I experienced a lot of uh, continual trauma for years and years in my childhood and youth, and I had to survive. So my survival mechanism was to sacrifice like just general focus on school stuff, things that interested me, interested me, and I was able to excel at them simply because I'm neurospicy and because I was able to draw, I was able to speak English and help teach lessons two years after I started learning English. And, um, and those things that interested me, like marine wildlife, all of these things, I can still talk out of the top of my head as if I could have a TED talk for days on end. Yeah. The other things, there was, it wasn't a struggle. It was a battle. It was a battle. And, and whatever required more effort from me, I just couldn't engage because I was sacrificing my lucidity. This is what I was like. I, I, sorry, I was sacrificing for my lucidity. I needed to have as clear a mind as possible to at least understand that I was witnessing violence, that I was suffering violence of some kind, that I was becoming hyper vigilant. And whenever I could interfere or do anything to make the situation a little bit calmer, that's where the root of my people pleasing um, behaviors started, you know, like because all of that. And so I sacrificed everything else so that I could survive the chaotic, insane circumstances that I was in. And, and that was necessary. I'm not saying it was healthy, that was necessary. But this choice of sacrificing a part of yourself is then echoed in later relationships where whenever something kind of triggers you like oh wait maybe that person didn't like what i said or maybe they're having a fight and because i'm here i'm sending like some kind of vibe that they're having a fight and somehow i'm related to the fight and i'm responsible for it yeah and so all of these things start triggering behaviors and reactions where you sacrifice your own inner peace you sacrifice your own sense of stability you sacrifice even some into a certain degree your own clarity of thought to realize that you have nothing to do with the conflict that you're witnessing. You have nothing to do with some kind of like sick dynamic that you are coming in touch with, even though you're not a contributor to it, you know? And so you try to use tactics that you've used to survive before to be able to navigate a situation that you might not be responsible for. And exactly. So and that's where you sacrifice and re-traumatize yourself because you don't even know what's going on on the other side in the situation. But you're just in case to be safe, literally to be safe, you're going to do these tactics because at least you'll know they work to a certain degree. Yes. And this is where you find people, myself, and I love that you brought this one up because this is an experience I just recently had where I found myself saying, are you sure you're not upset? And my partner said, well, I am, Well, I'm okay. Like it's, it's okay. It's, it's nothing you did. And that should suffice, right? Like, a person with a normal functioning, normal, healthy functioning brain should be able to say, okay, if there's anything I can do to help you feel better, let me know. Rather, someone like myself who wants to, because we're inherently from this space of like chaotic childhood, uh, unhealthy marriage, like these sorts of things, we're like, okay, they said it wasn't my fault, but it could still be my fault. Did I say something? Did I look at them wrong? Did I do this? And it has nothing to do with that person always. It doesn't always. In my previous relationship, it absolutely had everything to do with that person, but there's nothing to do with what they are expressing or with what you have expressed or anything like that. Like I am telling you, this man can come home, walk in the door from work. I maybe said two words to him all day 
and he's in a mood and I'll be like, what did I do? And that is something that I think a lot of people can relate to a lot of people. And especially in the readings that I do and the connections, like I've been doing psychic readings since 2019. And lately they've really taken a turn more toward like coaching and like, yeah, like a peer counseling type of thing where how do we fix, how do we move toward feeling whole essentially. Right. And so when I have clients who are saying the same thing to me of they have this like energy, this feeling, this thought process that if something is wrong, I have to fix it because I am in Mm. some way responsible for what's going on and what's going wrong and what's in their head. Because so many of us, and I'm including this in our childhood, we were blamed for the problems that were occurring among the adults because they couldn't take responsibility and they took it out on us. Okay. Yes. I've also noticed because I am someone who since moving out of um, my marital home, I've been moving into my own space with my children. I have found, and I noticed this before, but I'm noticing it more now that I have more power to correct this. My oldest, as soon as there's a voice raised, and it doesn't even have to be raised, it's just the tension can shift. He'll immediately come up and start hugging people. I love you. I love you. I love you. Giving everyone hugs. Like, And I know it's because he experienced that chaos in our home where he feels the need to diminish the chaos, right? And so where other adults might see that as like, oh my God, he's so sweet. My brain is like, oh, the childhood trauma this poor baby has endured. He's also giving to others what he felt he needed back then. Exactly. So when he does that, that kid gets a massive hug. And I do not care how annoyed or angry or frustrated I am, but he does it when other people are getting in trouble, like his brothers. And I have to stop him and be like, listen, baby, I know it bothers you when this tension begins. Can't just like chuck her toys across the room or walk up to her older brother and headbutt them. Raising three-year-olds, man. But like, really, you have to understand. I think it's important to teach them like there are ways to navigate that tension. And, and that feeling of you having to make everyone feel better or you being responsible for making the tension leave the room, it's not on you. So I try to explain to him like, this is what's going on. This is why it feels this way. But you're okay. You're safe. Everything's fine. Oh, my God. But like, there's so many things for us to be proud of, of the stuff we developed after surviving all of these things. And this is also something that I want to stress to whomever is listening. You are not less than. You are not out of. You are not excluded from because you're near a spicy or because you're a trauma survivor. In fact, just because your life has taken on a different direction than you were expecting originally doesn't mean that you have any less value, doesn't mean that you have any less qualities or advantages to thrive in your life and in the world, okay? Just know that, okay, something terrible happened, but it also unleashed an entire different um, palette or array of options and talents in you. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I noticed across the board in us and uh, people who survived trauma like us is our ability our willingness to simply just love and be loving, okay? And, yeah. and and I think that as a parent, I love the way you do it because you've granted me the privilege of witnessing you parent your kids. Being loving is always going to be um, stimulated, as in it's going to be celebrated. And you do it, and you're so proud of the kids for, for being the, the men that they're becoming, even though they're still children. 
but you, I can see in your children already attitudes, behavior, even in the smallest one, you know, like he's, he's a little bit of a devil, but he is, he's hilarious, but he's also very aware. Yeah. And so I just, it's something like I'm talking about your kids and I'm complimenting you and your kids in the way you're parenting. But I'm also reminding whoever is listening that this thing, this thing that we have that we're so loving and that we're so giving in, in the love that we choose, we choose to give because we're making the choice. We're not just, oh, this is who I am automatically. Because mm -hmm. every single gesture we make, every single call, every single text we send, it requires effort. So please validate yourself as the loving person you are. Stop selling yourself short for being loving and accepting the, the external view that because you're a trauma survivor, because you're a loving person, because you might have an anxious attachment or, or, or something, that you're less than. Please embrace that. And I know that Catherine, you do this in your calls, perhaps in more detail, but this is a huge step. Like taking ownership for the love you choose to give is a huge step in becoming whole and feeling whole in the moment and feeling whole throughout your days, remembering yes. to take ownership for how loving you are. And I know that I took a little bit of time to say all of this, but for whomever is listening, this little pep talk is probably very necessary. Well, and that's the thing too. It's not... It's not like that loving perfection just shows up, you know, all the time. There are days that I will message friends. I've messaged Ricardo like, oh my God, man, I just screamed at the kids and I feel terrible. And honestly, those two, as much as like you shouldn't, and we all know that as parents, but we're not perfect. It's also an opportunity. I know if my dad would have screamed at me as a kid, I never would have had a conversation about it after. He never would have asked me how he felt. He never would have apologized, right? And that is at least an opportunity when you have these moments, these imperfect moments to reconnect, not just with your kids, but in all relationships across the board. And that's the thing about this, this whole idea of, okay, now what? Now we realize that we're maybe sabotaging our relationships or that we're, um, we're people pleasing. It's where you take a moment because in the anxious mind, things seem to be going so quickly but they're not right. So you take this moment in this anxious mind and you say, I need a minute. I need a minute. What is it that is making me feel this way right now? And even if you can't identify that, put that in the back of your mind, go outside for a second, take a deep breath, kick something, punch a pillow, do whatever it is you need to do to get your energy back to calm and back to that baseline where you can properly reassess the situation and if you don't know the source of it yet, you can at least say, I recognize this isn't a healthy behavior and I choose to do differently. And it's not easy. And I, for every time someone says to me, like, this is just how I am. Oh my God, I want to scream because it's not just how you are. You can make these choices. I'm just, this is just how I am is a cop out. This is me. This is you saying you're not interested in doing the work. To yeah. grow you want other people to continue to cater to you and that's just the way I mean that's just I will die on that hill I mm. just for me myself realizing in a healthy relationship how much I have to work on but being given the space to do so it, it's incredible so yeah. take the time to step out to go upstairs to leave the room to do whatever for me it's going upstairs and take a few deep breaths I take my pulse I check in and I very quickly ask myself, is this a healthy response? Mm. If someone responded to me like this or was asking this of me, how would I feel? Right. 
And that is the fire question. If someone were doing this to me, if my guy were grilling me for where I was going, what time it would be there. And like the seconds on the clock, I would be like, dude, you're controlling, cut it out. Right. Mm -hmm. It's too much, but it's, it's your anxiety speaking. Right. And, and I think that it's, it's super important. It's your trauma speaking. It's the need to know what is going on at all times so that you can find peace in what's going on so that there are no surprises because surprises are scary. (laughs) Right. Yeah, we don't like that aspect of the unknown. I, I'm starting to like surprises now. I'm starting to understand that it's it's something that uh, like nice surprises are are good things. Are people thinking of you? And it's okay. It's but okay there's a difference between those surprises and the other ones, right? Yeah. Because the other ones came from chaotic, erratic behavior, and these surprises come from thoughtfulness, from consideration, from love. Right. Even then that, okay, now what? Like you have a problem receiving even good surprises could be tied back to the fact that all these chaotic surprises just set that whole surprises are bad, you know? So now what? Okay. Now what? Here's one thing. For instance, you are able to talk with someone important in your life. It doesn't have to be a romantic partner. It can be anyone of a certain importance. And you've communicated in a way that they correct behavior you ask them to correct behavior that was potentially toxic or harmful or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Now what you've asked them, they've agreed to, you don't see it immediately. Your trigger is going to be even more painful and more intense than before because they're taking time. They're taking time to begin to work on it. They're taking time to process. And so one of the things that I'm learning on the go as I go is you do. We lead by example. That's who we are as loving people. And love leads by example. It's by being loving. And so in the same way that we want other people to be responsible, to be thoughtful, to to take our feelings into account, it's so good when we have even that last beat of self-awareness and we, wait, the way I responded to that, the way I spoke, the way I reacted to something, or the way I just shot out out of my own trauma, I could have done that in a much better way. So that self-accountability, that the, the willingness to then, okay, I'm going to apologize for this and I'm going to commit to behave better, right? On your own side, I'm not saying, hey, excuse the narcissist. It's nothing like this. This is all about personal power within yourself. If you have the power to make the apology, if you have the power to express to the other person that you're growing, a working progress as well, you're also coming back to yourself. You're also saying to yourself, wait, I'm not perfect. I'm not on a pedestal. And I have what it takes to do the work to make myself happier and to bring more happiness into whatever relationship I'm concerned with. Whether it's professional, a friend, father, daughter, or parental child, whatever it is, romantic, whatever. So this is just a suggestion is that so many times we need someone else to do the work that they do need to do to make a safe space, to create a safe space for the relationship to thrive. But we're not perfect, so it's just inviting you to look within yourself and some of the behavior that could have been a little bit better handled on your own. Like, okay, this is something that I'm willing to give to this person I care about, where I apologize for something I know I could have done better, and I'm working on it. You can give it to them, but you're mostly actually giving it to yourself because you're making a commitment to grow, to improve, right. 
and to make sure that you are a coherent person. I'm gonna and you might sometimes notice too that when you make that apology, <clears throat> the person you're apologizing to might be like, what are you even talking about? It was fine. But it's not like, it's important that you make that apology because it's a small behavior that you have that you realize needs to shift for a bigger perspective. And it's a, a, a means of communicating to the other person, even if for them it's like, that was nothing, but it shows them and they understand it to a certain level that wait this person is holding themselves accountable they really yeah. care they're taking yep. this step so this is another thing that shows that they truly care oh, yeah yeah <clears throat> no shame no shame in this i think that a lot of people listening to the show are going to to identify with the fact of with not the fact of the concept of people pleasing especially mm -hmm. and i just wanted to go back to that for a brief second because i realized that in my neurospiciness, I wrote something down that I did not bring up that's super important to hear. People yes, pleasing is not the same as compromising. No, it's not. Okay. Because I think sometimes we might hear like, hey, okay, well, I, I think people who are in that cycle of people pleasing might be like, well, I'm compromising. Like, this is what we do in relationships. But no, nah, nah. there's a, a massive difference. Are they equally compromising? Or are you literally bending over backwards to make sure that every situation is peaceful and whatnot? you're touching on that it's so important and i know that like going into a little bit of the linguistics on uh, about it is might not be as interesting but a compromise is not a sacrifice in relationships right. a compromise is a win-win situation 100 percent. thank you you're choosing where both or all of the people involved win and whatever you choose to let go as a priority it's go. It's just giving it space to show where it fits. Mm -hmm. You're not deleting it. You see what I mean? You're not Shifting. deleting. Yeah. You're just like, okay, right now. So we've got this situation. We've got this circumstance or problem that we need to address. Because there is a problem, instead of fighting against each other, we need to stand on each other's side or side by side and use our individual and collective power to address it and turn that problem into a win-win situation for everyone involved. And as soon as we move in that direction, the intensity, the tension, the degree to which everyone is upset is going to decrease by more than 50%. Because as soon as everybody realizes, wait, we're in this together, in the sense that we can actually overcome this together, my problem, their problem, our problems, we can do this together, then you can actually sense and feeling the energy oh we can breathe again like there's it's almost like a hug you're not hugging but it's almost like a hug because you know wait this person is willing to tread this path with me i am willing to tread this path where i hold myself accountable and finding a compromise like you were saying finding the win-win situation is ultimately going to strengthen everything especially for trauma survivors. How do you feel like you would identify the difference between what is a trauma trigger versus what is your intuition speaking to you on something, especially for people who have, because you and I both have this, people who have a relationship trauma, dishonesty, betrayal trauma. Okay. So my interpretation of the word intuition has broadened even more than it was before. And so, whereas before, I would say that intuition just always and consistently speaks with you with a soothing, calming voice. I now 
observe that intuitive or intuition is everything that becomes at least second nature to you, if not totally integrated into your own way of being. So for instance, I speak English intuitively. I speak it naturally, right? I make mistakes like everybody makes mistakes speaking English. But this is intuitive to me. I'm not even thinking about the words I'm choosing. This is just natural to me. And um, the same thing works with like trauma triggers, okay? You, when you're suffering trauma, and especially if you're uh, a CPTSD survivor, like complex trauma that it went for a long period or longer than just one uh, radical instant, um, what happens is you become hypervigilant. And this is also where so many of our other responses to trauma come up. Um, so you become hypervigilant. And this hypervigilance is akin to intuition because you become so aware of everything in your environment. This is why... A couple of years ago, the word empath became such a strong, powerful world in our circles, right? Because being an empath means that you are so keenly aware of all of the emotions in the environment or of all of the things going around. Whether it's it comes from trauma or from actual like predisposition to intuitive traits, it's not as important as it's there. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so this also brings me back to, okay, You've been traumatized and you're trying to do the work to release yourself from from the claws that it has on you so just like Catherine says okay now what instead of seeing it as just a burden as something that uh, impedes you see it as something that has awoken parts of you that you weren't aware of and maybe you still have to do the work in accepting and embracing them because these other parts that it awoke in you they're also there to serve you and to serve the life you desire to live. Hypervigilance. This in relationships, especially. This is something I laugh at with myself because I'm aware of it now. I just recently went through this experience where I will, just a little backstory. I have been prescribed the generic version of Celexa since uh, my oldest, who's eight, was about nine weeks old. I had horrific postpartum anxiety. They diagnose it as depression as it often is, but I think it showed up as more of an anxiety thing. Okay. So I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. I couldn't really tell you, I guess, but this is the way that I felt about it. So I've been on that mostly on it for the last eight years. Well, in that amount of time, I've moved out of a terrible marriage. I've left a lot of negative energy. I've done a lot of self-work on my, on, on, on myself, right? That makes sense. Uh, and so through all of this, I think a lot of me no longer really needed this medication. I am not advocating for going off of any meds without talking to your doctor. I am doing this alongside mine for the record. But I talked to a psychiatrist who was like, well, if it's not working for you, let's, she, she had said something that sat in my brain. I don't understand why they would put you on that for anxiety. And I realized, oh, later it was postpartum depression. That's why they prescribed that specifically, not for anxiety. So of course now it's not working for me. It's making things worse, right? So they switched me to two different things. They put me on something for ADD without a stimulant, and they put me on something for straight up anxiety. They switched them both at the same time, which is not smart. And I advocated against, but I finally was like, you know, I'm just going to do it because the doctor said to, she's a doctor. And also I don't usually give that amount of like power over, especially when my gut, my intuition was like, don't do them both at the same time. And I was like, shut up bitch, shut up. Right. So I took them both. I started them first. I start like 
horrific night sweats within two to three days of taking the one for anxiety. And I won't use names, but within two to three days of taking that one, I was so heavy, so depressed, so in a funk, so sad, so weepy. I honest to God, trigger warning, had suicidal thoughts. And I was like, this is the medicine I'm done. And I, I had an appointment with actually my gynecologist and I asked him, he said, Hey, this is what I'm experiencing from this medicine. And he's like, I can't legally tell you to stop taking it because I didn't prescribe it, but stop taking it. Like you can't like stop. Like you've only been on it for a week. Like stop right now. It's going to get worse if this is how you're feeling. I, I know that we're, <clears throat> you're telling a story about uh, whatever this is uh, for hypervigilance, but just so that people who are listening know the difference, suicidal ideation and suicidal intentions are not the same thing. They're not the same. Yes. Okay. So uh, thank you for saying that. Yeah. Because I, I did not have intention. I did have thoughts of like how I would do it though. And I was yeah. like, this is not okay. Like I yeah. feel like teenage me again. I don't want to be here. And I was at least aware enough <clears> to <throat> realize that. Well, so I got off of that one and I stayed on the lower dose of the original medication that I was taking because we were transitioning. So I stayed on that for a low constant, right? Because you don't want to just go boom all at once. Yeah. yeah. So I stay on that. And I stay on the, the, uh, no stimulant, uh, ADD medicine. And I realized over my trip home for the holidays, I was a Royal CU next Tuesday. Oh my God. It was awful. I was so triggered. I was so mean. I was so nasty. My mom told me she was concerned for my mental health. I needed parenting classes because holy crap, I was nasty. And I realized like the day before I left New York, I thought, holy shit. I bet it's this medication. So I call my friend who's been in pharmacy forever. And I said, Hey, you know how I've been on this? Do you think this could be making me mean? And she goes, God, yeah, that's notorious for causing mood swings. I'm like, how so quickly can I get off Tuesday. of it? <laughs> right. Sorry. So she <laughs> says, she goes, you can, she's like, I'll talk to my dad because he's a pharmacist. She's like, I'll talk to my dad, but I'm pretty sure that when you can stop because there's no chemical dependency. I was like, done, not taking it. Within two days, I felt like myself again. Yeah. Within a week, I was back, back. And I went back on uh, stimulant, regular, good old-fashioned Adderall for my ADD. And also, you can be spiritual and take medication. Don't let anyone make you think otherwise. Um, I've heard people say stuff like that. Um, I went back on that, and I feel so much like myself again. However, to this hypervigilance, in the process of this medication, like perfect storm of crappy depression cocktail that I was taking. Yeah. I also was getting to this spot in this relationship where I would get a text. Like, this is the example I'm going to use where if someone said like, good morning, but not good morning, sweetheart, not yeah. good morning, baby. Not, I'd be mm. like, Oh, he's breaking up. <laughs> <laughs> love you. Instead of I love you. I was yeah. like, Oh no. Right. And those are the things that I think so many of us can relate to, but that is hypervigilance. And that is hypervigilance that very much accompanies trauma survivors, the CPTSD. You had to stick around for like six minutes to get to this loop, but that CPTSD, those things where I had a therapist say like, this is when you have certainty in your life where you're used to uncertainty, where you have peace, where you're used to chaos you will feel anxious because your fight or flight is like, this isn't my normal. Where mm -hmm. is my normal? And you will create it. Yeah. So that's what I tried to do. And boy, do I have a good one because he was very patient through all of that. But that hypervigilance, that like, why didn't you say I? And now if I receive a text like that, I giggle and I'm like, don't be an ass because I know 
It's just, it's that trauma saying like something's wrong, something's different, something so minute that doesn't matter at all has changed and you should make a really big deal out of this now. And the yes. logical side of me goes, <laughs> like, no, shut it down. Shut it down. I can so, relate to this so, so many ways. Yeah, right? And we do that. <laughs> and we over-examine and we look at every little tiny possibility and every single nuance and minute detail that has shifted and we're, because we relied on that. We had mm. to pay attention to that, right? Yeah. But now it's not serving us anymore. So we need to learn how to let go of it. And and y'all, like, we are not therapists. Go ahead, Ricardo. So we're not therapists, but there's one thing that we can do. We can do. Uh, one of the things that we can do to, that we can do to let go of bad habits, for instance, smoking, is to replace it with a good habit. It's not by stopping entirely and not giving a crap about it, whatever you're going to do, is replace you feel like smoking a cigarette this is just an example but i'm not pointing fingers at anyone you want to quit smoking do 10 push-ups instead you're not going to feel like a cigarette afterwards i promise so what about with this hyper vigilance where you want to have a meltdown because you got love you instead of i love you sweet love of my cushy cushy itchy itchy life so what happens with hyper vigilance is that if you turn it into your own enemy you're going to hate yourself and you're going to have don't a bad fight day. your trauma walk through exactly it. so hyper vigilance is a superpower we have the power to acknowledge all of the minute details. However, this hypervigilance comes from an emotional focus on the negative, on what makes you feel bad. So you're getting a text that says, love you, instead of I love you, right? This is a simple example. And you focus on the negative. Wait, the I, the active member of the sentence is not there, where it's just the feeling coming forth, right? And the expression of that. And you're focusing on, oh, wait. I is not there. So something is missing. You're looking for something that is missing or yep. something that is wrong. Instead of like, wait, this person, this person took the time to send me a message saying that they yeah. love me. This person took the time right now. And I know their schedule somewhat. For instance, like I'm just imagining so many hypotheticals. I know that this person is working and they took the time out of their working day to just text me to say, love you. Yeah. I'm going to take, I'm going to choose. So give take yourself the behavior. a choice. I'm going to choose to take the good that's coming my way and I'm going to pay attention to how diverse that person's communication is. Yeah. Okay. And this also allows your hypervigilance to survive and to transform into observance, which is not hypervigilance. Okay. Yes. Nailed it. I love it. It's exactly it. It's, it's the idea that you change the behavior. So when you use it as an observation and you are grateful for what you received there instead of getting upset by that missing eye, right? Um, that's your push-ups for the yeah. cigarette, right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. You being hypervigilant, yes, it's a trauma response. But remember, it's a superpower. It is a superpower mm -hmm. now because you're able to capture so much information, right? Mm -hmm. But remember that with the hypervigilance, the toxic part of it is that you're geared towards the negative. You are looking for the enemy hidden in the lines, you know, everything. You're looking for all of that. So it's the focus. Please remember to not gaslight yourself, but to rearrange your focus to also give some grace to the other person to not be perfect, to be able to make mistakes so that you can also be imperfect, so that you can also make your own mistakes and so that they can embrace you as you're striving to grow, as you're striving to become a better freer, lighter person, so that as you work on yourself to deal with your traumas, we cannot delete our traumas. They're going to accompany us somehow, but they can be a memory 
that we choose to love ourselves in rather than to just be a burden that we have to carry, right? And so um, this is my request to you. This is my invitation as the host of The Path of Inner Peace, as a friend of Catherine's, as a grateful client of hers as well, that in whatever choice you make moving forward, choose to love that hurt part of yourself first. Choose to, I know it sounds corny, but choose to be the kind voice, the kind presence, so that whenever anyone mirrors that to you, you know you've got a keeper. You know you have a friend. You know you've got someone who is a part of the community that you want to grow around yourself, rather than looking Amazing. for people to assuage you somehow. So yes. please do that first for yourself. Thank you. I think that is a beautiful place to wrap this episode. Uh, Ricardo, I almost called you Connor. <laughs> Where can I find you? Where can I find you? Where can the listeners find you? Where can I find you? Tell us about what you do. So I do uh, custom guided meditations. I am also a psychic medium and I uh, do dream interpretation. I also teach individuals, individuals and groups, if you want to have the dream interpretation group. But I think I'm going to call it dream interpretation circle. I think it becomes a, a much more fun, you know, dick. Um, <laughs> I love the, I love it that way anyway. So yeah. I am a dream yeah. interpretation student of Ricardo's and I did learn a lot. I learned a lot and I know what I should do, but I am that annoying student who will always come back and go, can you just do it for me? I'll gladly do it for you. But here's the thing. Uh, when I teach you how to do dream interpretation, just to summarize that very quickly, when I teach you how to do dream interpretation, I'm not teaching you how to do it forever by yourself. I'm getting you acquainted with the language and how you can connect with your subconscious mind because your subconscious mind or whatever your dreams bring you is one of your innermost allies always rooting for you and always inviting you to choose what is truly best for you so you can find me on these spiritual and well-being scopes on path of inner peace on instagram there will be a youtube channel very soon um, but more on that later if you want to know about the graphic novel that i'm working on on the other side of what i do it's called the triad in tales so at triad in tales on instagram and it's a, a graphic novel of uh, me choosing every possible circle of ostracized people and making them the leading characters of a spiritual fantasy superhero kind of Dungeons and Dragons kind of adventure. So we've got really no, cool. no obvious white people. We've got Asians, black people. We've got indigenous people as generally indigenous people. I don't have direct contact with indigenous people. Um, to inform this as well as I would like, but I have some friends and I'm working on it to make it not just inclusive, but to actually be like uplifting elements of representation for people who often feel like they're not seen. They're at the fray of media. Check out the Triad in Tales, check out Path of Inner Peace. And Catherine, thank you so much for having me and for being such a powerful, beautiful, healing and uplifting presence. Thank you so much. That is so sweet. Check out Ricardo's services because he's really, he's done some incredible things. And if you have the chance to do a meditation with him, absolutely. As you can hear, just his voice is a very safe and warm place. I want to leave this with a question. Ask yourself in all of your choices that you're making right now, in even the heat of the moment, is my response going to serve my highest self? And that is going to help you so much on your path to healing. All right. Thank you all so much for being here and come back for another episode of OK, Now What?